You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Well, happy Mother's Day, first of all, to everyone. My children, hello, Abby, uh, this week said a very, very interesting question about Mother's Day. They said, so how does this work? So dads get a, a dad's day, a father's day, and mothers get a mother's day. What about the kids? When's kids' day? And as quick as anything, my husband said, every day. <laughs> so happy kids' day, every day, love. <laughs> so um, good morning, Cafe Church. Uh, it's, 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 it's interesting to see your far less rowdy crowd on this side of the screen. So um, it's good to have you with us as well. This morning, the title of my message is Standing Firm. And we're going to be looking this morning at Galatians chapter 5. Do you know that it is God's will that every believer in Christ experiences freedom in Christ? But it's actually not the reality that every believer experiences that freedom in the way that God intends us to. And we're going to be looking this morning at the topic of freedom. Now, freedom is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's one of those things that you don't always know you value until it's gone. Many years ago, back in the early noughties, I worked in Spike Island Prison. For those of you who have never seen or heard of Spike Island Prison, let me explain. So this little island up the top here of the left hand of the screen is Spike Island. And as you may see and guess, it is an island. You go down to Cove and you look across the water that little mound that you see out in the water is Spike Island. It's no longer a prison, it's now a museum. And back in the day that it was a prison, it was for young offenders, so not for, not for older adults. Um, and the only way to get to this island was on a boat. And this picture here, the red and white, is the actual boat that I used to travel on to get to Spike Island. It's tiny, as you'll see. And the really interesting thing about this boat is that it wasn't just the people going to work on the island who went on this boat. It was pretty much anything or anyone who had to go to Spike Island who went on this boat. So I would arrive on a Friday morning, I was working there every Friday morning, to get on this boat. And as you'll see through the windows, there was a really tiny little area where you had to go in and sit down. There was just two rows of seats, one on either side. There would be the prison officers who were changing shift, there would be the guy driving the boat, who drove it every day for many years. And then there would be the supplies of the food, like fresh milk and bread. That's the only way they could get it over there. And then, surprisingly enough, the prisoners <laughs> who had to be admitted that day were also on the boat. So we would head off, and at the back of this bench on either side where you'd be sitting, there was, you know, quite small space. There was a bar running along the back of the boat, and that's where the prisoner would be handcuffed to. So it was quite a surreal situation. You're sitting on this boat going to work, and beside you is a guy with one hand strapped to the back of the boat. So we'd head off, and we'd go around um, Hal Bolin Naval Base. The boat doesn't go straight across, because apparently the waters are very choppy. So it takes this detour around Hal Bolin Naval Base. It's quite a journey, about 20 minutes across. And it was really awkward conversation, because you can imagine the, prison, the prisoners and the prison officers, well, they didn't really chat all that much. 
And it really was left usually to me to sit next to the guy, the guy or the guys that were being sent to prison that day. And you'd be trying to make conversation on the way across. And, you know, it's not a bad old day, is it? <laughs> Bit choppy. And then at some point in the journey, the guy sitting next to me invariably would go, what are you in for yourself today? <laughs> and do you know what the most awkward thing was? I could never reciprocate the question. It just didn't really fit right. <laughs> so we'd arrive um, at the other side, at, at uh, Spike Island where the boat docked. We'd be taken off the boat and put onto a minibus. At that stage, the prisoner would go from being handcuffed to the wall to having both hands handcuffed behind his back. And then usually I'd end up sitting next to them again on the minibus because they didn't want to sit next to the prison officers. You'd have teachers and that from you know, the education block as well on it. And we would be put on the minibus and then we would be driven to this gate, which is in the center of the island and it's the entrance into the quad that formed the prison block. And when the minibus would drive through the gates that you see there in the photo, a gate would shut down on front and behind of the minibus. It would get dark. And then what would happen was the prison officers would get onto the minibus and they would proceed to search the entire bus under the, under the seats, in our handbags, complete search. And then they would remove the prisoner from the bus and that was the last I would see of them as they had to go through their admission procedure into prison. And you know what struck me as I was preparing today was as we made that journey from the mainland over there was a gradual loss of freedom that happened as we got nearer and nearer and nearer to the prison until finally he was gone. And I'd be on the boat back home later that day and there'd be a gap beside me. And it, it always felt just quite sad as that happened. So my role in the prison was a pre-release program. It was basically a six-week program helping these young offenders to maintain their freedom as much as they could when they got released, trying to give them strategies and ways to stay out of prison when they got there. And that's exactly what I want to speak to you about today. How do you and I maintain our freedom in Christ once we have it? What are the strategies that we can employ to keep it and make sure that the name of my scriptures or the name of my, my message today is standing firm that we don't lose our footing. So we're going to be looking today, as I said, at Galatians 5. Before I read it, let me just set the scene. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he has come and he has planted many churches throughout Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and Paul is left. And shortly after leaving, Paul, Paul hears that false teachers have come. They've infiltrated these churches where he saw many come to Christ many who formed churches together, and he's heard back that these false preachers have come and are teaching a false gospel and are deceiving those that he saw come to Christ. And Paul decides to write a letter. He can't be with them. He's far away. Now, as we read this letter today, I want to invite you to see it as a letter. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it can be just, you know, not 3D like it's intended to be. So imagine that Tom and Denise, who most of you here would say have been an integral part of your walk with God, 
they're called suddenly to go and live down under. They moved to Australia, and Tom hears shortly afterwards that some people have come to the church, and they're teaching a false gospel. They're deceiving the very people that they loved, that they saw grow in their faith. See the letter as that today, as we read it. Paul is furious. Like, don't read this as, oh, that's lovely. Paul wrote to the church and he had a few things to say. Hear the emotion as we look at the scripture today. Paul was beside himself. These false teachers, the Judaizers, had come in, and what they were saying to the believers was, that's lovely, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But there's just this other little one thing that you need to do too. You need to be circumcised. You see, they were adding to the gospel. They were insulting the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they were saying, what he's done isn't enough. You also have to do something else to add to it. So brothers and sisters, in the first four chapters, which we can't, we don't have the time to go through them all today, Paul's emotion is so intense. He uses words like, I'm in labor pains for you. Believe me, I have two children. He felt intense pain. <laughs> he says things like, I beg you. Imagine Tom writing a letter and, and Michael standing here saying, you know, reading out the words Tom's written on the page. If he's in Australia and he's heard this, I beg you. Don't read it like, I beg you. You've got to hear and understand, this guy is furious, he's jealous for the gospel, he knows these people, he's got relationship with them. So hear that as we read it this morning. So he's writing about this crisis in the church, and he sets out in the first couple of chapters that God has given him ultimately the authority to speak to them. God has given him the apostolic authority, so he knows his authority comes from heaven, it's not of himself. And he also talks about how he is very much within his rights to speak on this topic as an expert because Paul himself tried everything in his earlier life to work and, 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 and to do everything he could to try and earn favor with God. So he knew what he was talking about. So let's read this scripture together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion 
whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Jumping to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord God, I pray that you would open up this word to us today, Lord. May we understand its relevance to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's begin to break these down. Taking verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. What's Paul saying to us? This is a call to action by Paul. He's asking them to do something. Stand firm. And the term that Paul is using here comes from the original word staco, which is a military term. Now, if you were to say to a soldier, stand firm, what would he be thinking? He's thinking, I need to prepare myself. I need to steady my feet and be ready that if somebody comes to knock me over, my feet are as stable as they can be. I need to be prepared. I need to do everything I can to stand Remain standing, stand a bit more, and then stand again. So Paul is saying to us, this is an action that you have to take. You have to be deliberate. You have to be alert. You have to set out, prepare yourself to have your feet ready. Also, Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. What are we set free from? What is it that he's talking about? Well, chiefly in this passage of scripture, Paul is saying, you and I, when we become Christians, have been set free from having to earn right standing with God. We have been set free from having to do anything, anything to earn our salvation. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and took our sins, he took our place. He took our punishment. He paid the price and he said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's finished and you might have to do a few other things to add to it. He said, it is finished. Paul goes on and he says, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What's a yoke? It's not a word that we really hear used a whole lot these days. Well, a yoke was basically a very heavy um, piece that was put onto ox's neck by a farmer. And what it did was it forced the ox to work. He may not want to have submitted to his farmer, to his owner, but he had to. And it was heavy, it was a burden, and he had to plow the field, whether he liked it or not, over and over again. And what Paul is doing is he's using this as an illustration to say, when someone comes along and tells you that there's anything else you have to do to be in right standing with God, it's like they're putting a burden on your shoulders and forcing you to work. And that is not God's will for you or for I. You see, rule keeping is burdensome, isn't it? It's exhausting. Let me give you an illustration. <laughs> We go to France, or have gone to France on holidays for the last number of years, and we've stayed in campsites. Now, anybody here, and I apologize in advance if you're French, anybody here who's been to a French swimming pool knows 
They love rules. Love them. Like in Ireland, we say, don't run, don't dive, be careful. And then people do run and dive, and they don't really do a whole lot about it. It's not like that in France. Let me warn you if you're going to France. You can't run, you can't dive, you can't wear flip-flops, you can't wear swimming togs if you're a man. They have to be speedos. Barry really liked that one. <laughs> you, you, you literally, you can't eat, you can't drink. My favorite one of all is where we were last summer, there's a large water complex that has a gate into it. And just before you get to the gate, there's a shop selling inflatables of every description. You know, starting at five euro up to about 55 euro. There's swans, flamingos, lilos, you name it, they have it. So obviously when the kids pass the shop, they're like, please, 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 mommy, daddy, can we get, you know, can we get them? So you pay, you, you buy them. And then you get to the entrance of the pool and there was a wall, I'm not exaggerating, the wall was this size of the wall behind the stage with rules on it. Guess what one of the rules was? No inflatables. <laughs> so anyway, we, we, we go into the pool and it's 28 degrees and one of the rules is no drinking, no eating. Now we've got two small children, it's 28 degrees. We're there for hours in the sun. And there's lifeguards everywhere. They're crawling all over the place. And it's not like in Ireland, you're a grand girl. They're everywhere. And if something happens with your child, they're over telling you what you shouldn't have allowed to happen. So my children are really, really thirsty. Mommy, I need a drink. So I've got like this basket. And I'm like checking everywhere to see who's watching. And then I'm like telling the children, turn your back. And on the count of three, drink as fast as you can. <laughs> and I'm pulling out the drink and there's beads of sweat forming all over my head. And I'm terrified that one of the 20 million lifeguards is going to find me giving my children a drink and kick me out of the pool. It's ridiculous. But you get the point. It's exhausting. Constantly saying, Lord, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Do I need to do more? And then I sin and I'm thinking, oh, I'm never going to manage this. We are not supposed to live like that as Christians. God wants us to be free and realize that he paid the price because we couldn't. I broke the rules. I gave my children the water. You and I break the rules every day. We can't do it by ourselves. And Paul is saying this to the church in Galatia. Don't become enslaved under that kind of a burden again, lads. It's not God's will for you. Moving on to verse 2 to 4. And Paul moves from a point of calling them to action into a point of warning them. He says, mark my words. I tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Mark my words. It's a warning. Paul is saying, when you came to know Christ, you were set free. Your feet were firm in freedom. If you listen to these guys and you start following the rules they give you, you know what happens? You say, I'm not going to stand here anymore. I'm going to go over back here to what I used to do before I had Christ in my life. And I'm going to go back to trying to earn favor with him again. And he's saying, Christ is of no value to you. Jesus Christ and his freedom is over there, and you're removing yourself from it. You see, when we decide to do this, it's an insult to the cross. 
We're effectively saying to Jesus that what he did for us, taking our place, being brutally, brutally treated as he was, that it wasn't enough. That there's something else you or I can do to add to that. And it's not true, brothers and sisters. He goes on to say, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. What's Paul saying? Let me give you an illustration. Suppose I've been caught speeding. Let's say I'm doing 200 kilometers per hour in an 80 kilometer zone. And suddenly the blue lights start to flash in my rear view mirror and I get pulled over and Garda Sean walks up to the window and I roll down the window and Garda Sean says, uh, you were doing 200 kilometers an hour there in an 80 kilometer zone. I'm going to have to prosecute you. Can you imagine if I turned to Gardashan and I said, no, actually, Gardashan, you're fine. You actually don't need to prosecute me, and here's why. You know all of those other laws that we have in Ireland? I generally keep most of those. I pay my TV license. I've got insurance. I've got tax. You can check there if you like. And I actually don't have any convictions. If you want to ring back there and check the pulse system, you'll see it comes up clear. So we're grand. Sorted, Sean. How ridiculous is that? Seriously, it's absurd. And yet, brothers and sisters, we live in a culture, I certainly do every day, be it at work, be it attending a funeral, where we're constantly hearing, sure, look, he was a lovely man. He lived a lovely life. And sure, he's in a better place now. It's not true. But we hear it all the time. It's so prevalent that if we're not standing firm and preparing ourselves to keep our feet there, what's going to happen is you're going to end up back over here. And Paul is showing them how crazy the idea is that if you get circumcised and you put your faith in Jesus, that somehow all the other laws don't matter. So this is what he's saying is, you want to go back under this system? You better be prepared to keep the whole caboodle lot of them. Not just that one. And that's the thing about legalism, moralism. People who will try to tell you that you have to behave a certain way to be a Christian, they're very selective about what they tell you you have to do. There's plenty of other things that they don't cover at all. So, you're saying, that's all very interesting, but how does this apply to us? I mean, the last time I checked, there was nobody in my life or in my church telling me that I had to be circumcised as well as putting my faith in Christ. So, what's this got to do with me? Well, I've just mentioned there, some of the most seductive false gospels that you and I are going to encounter, probably on a daily basis, is moralism, legalism, performance-based Christianity. Can I ask for a volunteer? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just need to demonstrate something. Please. Please. I just want you to lie on the stage and pretend you're dead. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. <laughs> if you could just lie down and look as dead as you could possibly be. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> and the Oscar goes too. Um, what I want to demonstrate here is that when we reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to moralism. What we're essentially saying is that our behavior gives us right standing with Christ. And what we start to do is we start to tell others that all Jesus, all God wants of them is to be better behaved. Now, may I point something out with my lovely dead assistant? Before we come to Christ, you and I are spiritually dead. Isn't that what the scripture says? So here's Terry. She's dead. Now, Terry, I want you to stop smoking. I think you're drinking too much, Terry. I think you need to go to church more, Terry. Terry, I think you need to read your Bible more. Terry, you need to pray more. See, all of those things are good and of themselves when we become Christians. But if we're not clear that when we're dead spiritually, the only one that can make us spiritually alive is Christ because of what he did. So if we reduce the gospel to moralism, sorry, didn't mean to fall over you. <laughs> I'll really kill her now. Um, if we reduce the gospel to moralism, what good is it to Terry if she's never met Jesus Christ? She's still dead. Thank you, Terry. You can go back to your seat. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is not the harder we try as Christians. It is the more we trust. Can I say to you, if you remember nothing of what I've said today except this one thing, remember this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I'm going to say it again. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And anybody who tries to come into your life and tell you that there's something you have to do to earn your salvation, do not listen to them. How do we stay standing firm here? How do you make sure that your feet remain in faith? Because it's also, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we can drift back into these ways of living and thinking. You know, we can beat ourselves up and say, oh, I had, you know, I had a lot of sin the other day. I really need to go now and love a few people and do a few acts of kindness, as if that's going to put us in any better standing with Jesus Christ. We have been made sons and daughters of God. We are no longer slaves. And that salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, this morning, how do you keep your feet standing in the freedom that Christ intended for you? I could give you 15 million ways to do it. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it really simple. Read your Bibles. In Ephesians, it talks about the full armor of God. You break down the full armor of God, it all comes back to being covered in your Bible. Put on the helmet of salvation. These are the weapons that God has given us to defend ourselves, defend our faith. The helmet of salvation is ultimately knowing the gospel. Where do you read the gospel? Over and over and over again? Your Bible. The breastplate of righteousness. Where do we read how we have received the righteousness of Christ because of the exchange that happened on the cross? In your? Where do we read about the belt of truth? What is the belt of truth? <laughs> you get the point. Every part of your spiritual armor, the sword, the shield, you can bring them all back down to your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, how do you know if somebody comes along and says, well, actually, you have to do this. Mm, that's not really what the Bible says. 
You're standing on quicksand, brothers and sisters, if you are not finding out for yourself what it says. It will be our anchor to keep our feet standing in freedom. Amen? Amen. Moving on to verses 5 and 6. This is where Paul starts to bring in a little bit of encouragement. And he says this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Hope. The word hope in English, it, it, we kind of use it in a way that like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I really hope I can do something nice today for Mother's Day. That is not the word hope here that Paul is using. The word Paul is using here actually translates as absolute certainty. It is not the same. So Paul is effectively saying we can be absolutely certain that when we stand before Jesus Christ, he will declare us righteous in his sight. That is the hope that we have. Do not let anybody take it from you. I also want to show you that when you're living in a way that you know you're free in Christ, and you know this hope, this absolute certainty that you have, the waiting that we do allows us to wait and relax. We can have peace, we can have joy, we're not striving. However, if you leave that position and you go back over here to a place where you have to earn your right standing with God, are you going to wait in peace and joy? No. You're going to wait in worry. It's going to be a case of, oh, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Should I do more? What should I do? What did I do yesterday? Will I, what will I do tomorrow? Will I? You're in this constant state of worry. Let me tell you a story about somebody I met, a Christian who had lost his footing and found himself over here worrying. One Sunday after church, Barry and I stopped in Dunn's stores to get some groceries. Passing the vegetable aisle, and I saw the back of a guy's head, and I went, oh, that's, let's call him Jim. His real name isn't Jim, by the way, just in case. <laughs> You're going, where's Jim? Where's Jim? So Jim was picking up his bananas and apples, and I said, Jim, how are you? And he turned around, and when he saw that it was two Christians, I could see everything in him. It was like all the bananas and apples went up in the air. Ah! <laughs> and suddenly Jim started to say, I know it's Sunday, but I, I know I shouldn't be in the supermarket. Like, we, we, today's a day of rest and I shouldn't be doing anything, but I just needed these one or two things and I'm going straight after I get the bananas and apples. Like, I'm not going to actually stay here. The poor guy was beside himself because he had fallen back into the trap of thinking that he had to keep a set of rules to be right with God. Brothers and sisters, when you can stand in this place of waiting with certainty, Paul goes on at the end of this, this line to say, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, if I'm like Jim in the supermarket, terrified, <laughs> oh, am I keeping the laws? And every part of me is constantly wondering, have I done enough? When I go to do things for other people, the chances are is that that love is self-motivating. Because Jim is thinking, if I just do something nice now for Michael and Denise and Dara and Tom and Abby, and look, God will be delighted with me. It's not the faith expressing itself through love that Paul is talking about here. But when you and I are free and we can throw off all those burdens, throw off that yoke on our neck that Paul describes. We can genuinely love people from a place of saying, yeah, I've got absolute certainty that I'm right with God. 
And when I come and I want to love you and do something for you, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that you're seeing. Because when Paul was talking about circumcision in, in the earlier scriptures, he talks about it being of the flesh. And you see, when you try to do something for someone else, from that place of worry that Jim was in, you're, you're working in your own strength. It's of the flesh. Whereas when you know that Christ has paid the price and you're standing in the freedom that he has for you, that freedom that you have to love people, it's genuine. It's real. And it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Verses 7 to 8. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. When I was in primary school, we used to have to have qualifying races every year for Cork City Sports. If you don't know what Cork City Sports is, it's a big gathering of all the schools in Munster where they take the top three qualifiers and then they have a big day in Parky Cueve usually where they race them all off against each other. So every year I would come fourth in these races. And then I got to four class and a friend and myself decided this is it. This is the year that I'm going to make it to Cork City Sports. So in the weeks coming up to it, we were practicing. We figured it was all in the elbows. We were going to, you know, get the elbows going. We got rid of the shoes. We had the bare feet. We were all up for it. And we were, you know, out of the starting tracks as quickly as we could be when the whistle went. So on the day, I set off. I started well. I was coming up to the last 100 meters. I could hear chariots of fire playing. And then just at the last 100 meters, Suzanne Hicks, who was in the, the lane to my right, cut across me. It was the elbow first. It was like... You could see it all in slow motion. And I came tumbling down, face into the grass. Suzanne, if you're listening online, I forgive you. <laughs> I do, really, really. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> but this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, who caught in on you? You were running so well. You were going to win. You were going to finish. Finish in the freedom that Jesus intended you to. Who came along and said to go back over here and go back to trying to fulfill a law? That's impossible for you to fulfill. Who? Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning. Who has cut in on you? Has somebody come into your life? Have you read something, perhaps? Think about who is in your life and who is telling you about this freedom or this works. And don't allow them to stop you finishing the race. Paul says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Paul is saying what you might think to be the smallest little thing. Look, they're only saying... The small little bit needs to be done along with what Jesus did. Well, if you've ever baked, yeast makes bread rise. And when you put yeast into bread, it doesn't just make the little corner that maybe you dropped it into in the bowl rise. It works its way through the whole batch. I mean, has anyone ever made bread and half of it's risen and half of it hasn't? It just doesn't happen. And Paul is saying, even what you might think is the smallest little deviation from the gospel will ruin it all. You can't be standing here 
and over there at the same time. It's one or the other. Don't let anybody or anything pull you from one to the other. Paul says in Philippians verse 3, when he's talking about his past life of being a Jew and trying to keep all the laws, do you know what he says? I consider it all as rubbish. And do you know what the word rubbish translates as? You're going to love this one. The word rubbish Paul uses translates as excrement. So Paul says, standing over here and trying and trying and trying, and he tried more than most when he was a Christian. Do you know what he calls it? Excrement. Michael, what's the Greek translation for excrement in Cork? <laughs> you can fill in the blanks yourself. Paul doesn't mince his words. Paul calls it as it is, brothers and sisters. And I'm calling it as it is this morning because I can stand on the confidence of what Jesus Christ has done. Anything else bar pure and utter faith, justification by faith alone, is excrement. She's a very rude speaker this morning, isn't she? <laughs> Moving on to the last verse that we're going to cover this morning. You're probably thinking to yourself, this is fantastic. So this freedom that we have in Christ essentially means I can do anything I like. Wonderful. No, <laughs> that's not the case. Our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. And this is what Paul is emphasizing to them here. Lads, I've emphasized to you over and over and over again that you're free in Christ. But don't take that freedom and abuse it as a license to sin. You see, the idea of absolute freedom is lovely, but it's not reality. When I was working on Spike Island Prison, I remember a young guy being released, and we had worked with him through the program for six weeks. He was so excited. He missed his, the things he missed the most were his mom, his girlfriend, sausage rolls from the deli counter in the, <laughs> in the village he lived in, and the other thing was, bizarrely enough, Cuisine de France rolls with a slice of ham in it. The simple things that we all take for granted. And he was so excited at the idea of having his freedom. But you know what happened? When he got to the mainland at the other side, and he spent the day celebrating in the pub, he lost the plot. He thrashed the place. He caused untold levels of damage, so much so that there was a special sitting of the court. And guess where? he ended up in the very same day. You see, he was released into freedom, but it wasn't absolute freedom because there were still laws, wasn't there, that he had to obey. And it's the same for you and I, brothers and sisters. We're released into absolute freedom, but we don't have absolute freedom to negate the laws of Jesus Christ when we do become a Christian. And this is what Paul is saying this morning. Real faith always works itself out through love. We're freed to serve others, not to serve ourselves. Real faith will always work itself out in love. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living within us will cause us to have real love for others. And I mentioned earlier that we're free in that love. We're not trying to earn God's, free, you know, God's um, right standing with God. We're not trying to earn his favor because we have it. But the laws, just like that prisoner, still have to be in place. Don't use your freedom as a license to sin. As we come to a close this morning, 
It was interesting, Tom quoted Abraham Lincoln this morning, so am I. <laughs> Must be Abraham in the air. Um, he said this, be sure to put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. See, there's no point if your feet are here, if you've never known the freedom that I've spoken about this morning, there's no point in you saying, right, I'm ready, I'm standing firm. You're in the wrong place. Or equally, if you were standing in Jesus Christ's freedom, and you found that in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, you've wandered back into trying to earn it somehow. Don't place your feet firm in the wrong place this morning. As we come to a close, brothers and sisters, the first application is for all of us. I want this morning to say to you, stand firm in your freedom. Be immovable. Stand and keep standing. Do everything you can to know the truth so that nobody will cause you to move from the freedom that you have. And that applies to everybody here who calls themselves a Christian. We, brothers and sisters, as a church, should be absolutely beside ourselves, like Paul was, in labor pains, at the idea that anybody would come and edit the gospel of Jesus Christ that he gave everything for. If you don't feel in any way passionate or angry this morning that that could happen, or that somebody could deliberately come to deceive us into thinking anything other than the truth, I would suggest that you should go and rouse yourself until you do feel as passionate as Paul about it. Secondly, this morning, if you're listening and you're saying, you know, I've never understood that Jesus has done it all and that I don't have to do anything to earn right standing with him. No, this morning, brothers and sisters, he's just waiting for you to come. He's waiting with open arms to say, it is finished for you and you and you. I've done it. You don't need to do it. Your sin has been paid for. The only one who could perfectly keep the law gave everything so that what he deserved, we could have. And what we deserved, he took. Thirdly, if this morning you know that you've moved from a place of freedom and you've used it as a liberty to sin, and this morning you want to come before the Lord and say, I want to repent, I want to put my feet back on solid ground, and I want to recognize that absolute freedom is an illusion. I want to pray. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing one verse or two verses of um, No Longer a Slave. And brothers and sisters, I want you to just think about what we've, we've, we've looked at this morning in Galatians, and then we'll pray together. I'm no longer a slave to fear
you to come forward and we're going to pray together I for one am standing and I'm saying Lord help me to stand firm help me Lord God to keep my feet firmly planted in the freedom that you've given us Lord God then I'm going to invite you to come and we're going to pray about that together as well as that I want to invite you to the front if this is the first time that you want to come and you want to acknowledge to God that it's impossible for you to keep his laws, that you're a sinner and that you want to accept the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection that defeated death and condemnation. I want you to come forward this morning. And lastly, if you want to come forward this morning as well, as everybody else is making their way up, just fall in with them and you want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for taking your freedom and using it as a license to sin. So Lord, I pray now for my brothers and sisters here, Lord God, thank you for your word, Lord, how it instructs us and it, it, it shines a light, Lord God, into our lives and shows us, Lord, when we're faltering. I pray here this morning, Lord, that nobody would cut in on any person here. Lord, that the race they started well, they would finish, Lord. Make us immovable, Lord Jesus. Help us to keep standing. Help us to have our feet firmly in the truth of your gospel, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that any imaginations that set themselves up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be torn down in our minds and in our hearts by Jesus Christ and the power that we have in his name. And Lord, for those here, can I just ask if there's anyone here who wants to, for the first time, say, yes, Lord, I see now that anything I can do is worthless it's excrement I want you to just acknowledge to God and put your hand up and say yes that's me I want to acknowledge that Jesus has done it all Lord Jesus for any of these brothers and sisters I thank you Lord that you are opening the eyes of their hearts and I pray now Lord that they would declare Lord God their insufficiency standing in your sight but also recognizing and accepting, Lord God, that you've paid the price for their sin and that it is finished, that when you rose again, Lord God, you defeated death, you defeated the slave mentality, that we're now children of God. And I thank you for these people this morning, Lord God. Help them to stay firm as they continue in their walk. And finally, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters who know, Lord God, this morning that they need to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've made of your freedom. Just between you and God now, acknowledge in your hearts that you know that and ask him to give you a godly view of his laws and the Holy Spirit that he's put in you will enable you to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbor as ourselves, as your word says this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you'd like to return to your seats, then we'll finish on the song. Because I'm no longer slave to fear. Because I am a child of God. Oh, because I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because I am a child of God. Sing that one more time. See, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because I am a child. Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear Cause I am a child of God As we close this morning, can I just start by saying, Joanne, that was absolutely stunning. Brilliant. Well done. Absolutely brilliant. I was getting... I was getting excited and encouraged listening, sitting there listening to this fantastic hear God's word being ministered so strongly and so firmly and without apology. We're going to lift our hands and close in prayer. John writes in John 1 that to all who believed in him, to all who accepted him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Let's pray, Lord, whatever we face this week as we leave here today, whatever we face when we go back into what one might call normal life, I pray we wouldn't forget in any and every situation, whether the enemies are from without or from within, whether the situations and trials come at us from inside or outside, we would remember we are children of God this week. May we walk, live and love in that identity in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless and keep you. Don't forget we're here for another hour tea, coffee and fellowship. We're here on Tuesday night for the Grace Cayley starting at 7.30pm. God bless and keep you and hope to see you then.